Support for today's episode of The Rewatchables comes from Hotel Tonight, an awesome app for finding and booking great deals at great hotels. No crashing on air mattresses in your childhood bedroom this year. Instead, lock down your holiday plans with Hotel Tonight. Book a room up to seven days in advance everywhere and up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities. Or wait till the last minute if that's more your speed. You can make a break for it when Uncle Tony starts talking politics. Uncle Tony, what are you doing? Whether you need a room for tonight, the holidays are beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. Hello, and welcome to The Rewatchables. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and I'm joined by The Ringer's own Mayor Antonio Garcia, <laughs> Sean Fennessy. Wow. Darkness, light, the whole yeah. picture. The Ringer's own Lucius Fox. Ooh, Jason I like Concepcion. That. And we are here to talk about Christopher Nolan's number one ranked superhero movie of all time, according to TheRinger.com, The Dark Knight. Our organization is small, but we have a lot of opportunity for aggressive expansion. You see, I'm a guy of simple taste. I enjoy dynamite, gunpowder, and gasoline. Well, hello, beautiful. Little fight in you. I like that. You're gonna love me. The Dark Knight, Witty PG 13. All right, guys. Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Let's go back to 2008, uh, which, you know, was not that long ago, but in a lot of ways is the birth of the era that we're living in today. Um, 2007, obviously, like, it was a very, it was a regal year for movies. It's just like so many masterpieces were created, were, were produced that year. There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, Michael Clayton. But 2008 gave us Iron Man and The Dark Knight, which arguably kind of set the poles for the superhero era that we're living. We've gotten the Marvel, the MCU out of this. And I think you could argue that lots of films have chased The Dark Knight since its release in 2008. Uh, it was conceived as a partial adaptation of Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, the 1996 comic The Long Halloween. Yeah. And it was shot through the lens of Michael Mann's Heat, a rewatchable's favorite. Uh, Christopher Nolan said that he wanted to tell a very large city story. The Dark Knight is often named alongside The Godfather 2, Aliens, T2, and The Empire Strikes Back is one of the greatest sequels of all time. There's a sequel, obviously, Batman Begins. I want to just start talking about it from there. Let's start talking about it as sure. its legacy as a superhero film and whether anything, whether it was, it's a positive legacy or a negative one because people have been trying to chase this like it's an adult, it's a superhero film for adults. And is that, is that misguided? Jason, you're you're a comic book reader, I am. connoisseur. Like, I am. But Killing Joke and um, Long Halloween are f- fairly serious as comic book stories oh, go. Oh yeah, I mean, The Killing Joke is a one-off by Alan Moore that features. Uh, it ends in, in ambiguous fashion, which has helped uh, cement its legend. It's really violent. The Joker uh, sexually assaults Barbara Gordon and paralyzes her in the in the comic book, it, which is something that's aged really badly. That version of the Joker, who's much more of the malevolent clown who's willing to do anything to torture Batman and to remind him that he's not that much, that far away from from what the Joker is, is the essence of this film, I think, and really what makes the Joker's depiction here really so great. And that's what makes it an adult movie, I guess, in that respect. You know, it's not, it's just not very cartoonish. It's not very, it's not very super powered. You know, everything is very, um, 
tactile. Everything's very on the ground. Everything's you know physical. Yeah. And there's no there's no flying. There's no with the exception of like there are some notes that maybe we can hit on when we go when we nitpick like the sky hook and things like that. Sure. Like I don't know why we needed this in a movie that is, <laughs> feels like heat, but um. I do think that, one, that really flatters the sensibilities of excited young men when you say that something is adult. You Mm -hmm. know, it makes them feel like what they're consuming is more important than it is. But also, it is really adult. I mean, people are murdered in this movie. Main characters die. Heroes are forced to do things that are very unheroic or compromise their ideals for heroism. And I think that what happens is, you know, the second movie is traditionally... The second movie in a trilogy, and for Terminator, obviously, we're on, like, movie nine or whatever. But, you know, Godfather for Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy. The idea is, like, you can take the trust you've built up in this first film and you can play with it a little bit. Right. And you can push at things. And that there's always the Jedi to come in. You can always do Return of the Jedi and be like, we're all okay. Darth was actually a, a pretty good guy in the end. Right. And I don't know, actually, the Dark Knight rises because there's no – the Joker character, obviously, with Heath Ledger's – tragic passing before the release of Dark Knight, we don't really get a any closure on that character per se. But the Dark Knight Rises is not necessarily more light and sunny than Dark Knight, which is an interesting, that's a different podcast, but it's interesting that he didn't really follow the traditional trajectory of a, of a trilogy that just kind of like, hey, it's all okay. Dark Knight, the thing that's really interesting about Batman is that he's like a fascistic character. You know, he's a yeah. rich guy with a lot of problems who hangs out with teens and likes to go beat people up in the night. You know, he likes, he enjoys the pain. And Joker is the guy who's like, you know, look at me. What's the difference between you and me? What is is really the difference, you know? That's the core sensibility of Batman, that that duality of Batman is just on the edge of really being a true psycho, a true psycho. Yeah. That's what's great about this movie. And then in Dark Knight Rises... The threads really come apart when you try to make this about international terrorism and all this other stuff. But and a guy climbing out of a hole in Afghanistan and then yeah, walking like back to Gotham, healing, healing his back like <laughs> yeah. through push-ups and stuff. <laughs> there, there are truly interesting uh, questions about the core of what a hero is. What is what is like a hero who works outside the system? What does that mean to be that person? Also, one of the interesting things about that too is it does reflect some of that part two aspect in so far as in this movie, Bruce Wayne's biggest foe, I think, is not necessarily the Joker, but it, like self-doubt and the decision to kind of like think about hanging up the cape and cowl. Right. You know, that's something that yeah. keeps... Watching it again, I was reminded of the fact that there's two different moments in the movie when he's like, I'm done, I'm not doing this yeah, anymore. Right. Whereas in The Dark Knight Rises and in Batman Begins, it's more like someone has physically hurt me or I am in a prison or I'm being Revenge stopped my by father something. or whatever. Right, yes. yeah. The motivations are different. And this is that this is that like um, Han and Carbonite kind of feeling right. in this movie where there is it's just cloudier morally, existentially. We're not totally sure what's driving the people at times. You know, chaos is uh, is ascribed to the Joker, but like Jason's saying, the kind of like chaos of the mind is a big thing for Wayne too. Like he doesn't right. really know who he's supposed to be in this movie, which is kind of what is one of the more interesting ideas that no one's tapping into. Sean, the one of the things that was you know, if if Iron Man birthed the MCU, which is arguably the most successful franchise in film history. I think it probably is. But that's Star Wars, yeah. yeah. Dark Knight kind of created a different paradigm, which is this idea that the superhero movie could also could be at once a critically adored work of art while also being hugely popular. Yeah. 
Dark Knight went on to make more than a billion dollars worldwide box office. Has a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes and a 94 audience score. The film won eight Oscars. Ledger obviously winning posthumously Best Supporting Actor. He went up against Josh Brolin, who was nominated for Milk. Robert Downey Jr., who was nominated for Tropic Thunder. Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt and Michael Shannon for Revolutionary Road. It's a pretty damn good yeah. supporting actor crowd there. Quite good. The Best Picture nominees that year were Slumdog Millionaire, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, <laughs> Frost Nixon, Milk and the Reader, and we are not going to be doing rewatchables about any of those movies. No, that's it's very notable though the Oscar stuff. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but it, to cite its impact, this movie put the Academy on its ass. Yeah, it forced it to rethink yeah. how it was doing things. Yeah, after The Dark Knight was not nominated for Best Picture, the Academy decided to expand the pool to up to ten nominees for Best Picture. Yeah, and I think it's it's largely credited with the fact that Dark Knight, which won Oscars and was nominated for Oscars, but didn't get a Best Picture nomination indicated that somehow the Academy was detached somehow from the, yeah. the, the viewing audience. You know, yeah. they, they just yeah. had no they had no coin with people who went to the movie theater. And that's a that's a pretty big deal when something can feel important and also profitable. Yeah. Well the reason I bring up all the the accolades and 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 the box office is that I think that Nolan's participation in this series served as a beacon for a lot of quote unquote serious filmmakers. Yeah. That this was a viable thing to do with your career was whether and you know these films take a long time to make you're usually immediately being asked to think about multiple like to, to think about sequels. And the idea that you could make this and be considered, oh, well, this guy's like the new Spielberg or the new Kubrick, even though you're making a Batman movie, is something that, you know, Tim Burton, uh, honestly, like, you know, didn't really like become like a very, was it wasn't like a, Tim Burton went on to have like a very serious filmmaking career after Batman necessarily. I mean, he, he's made a lot of money, yeah. but I don't know if he's ever made anything that was like, with the exception of Ed Wood, that, that people are like, wow, it's a masterpiece. You the know? thing about that line of thinking, though, is other than Batman... But this is what I'm going to ask. Yeah. What hero has that kind of psychological text that would allow you to question what a hero is? Like Iron Man, you can't do it. Captain America doesn't have that. Ang Lee tried with the Hulk to try and get into this thing about uh, deep-seated anger and, you know, it didn't really work. Uh, Although I I will stand for that movie. The Batman is the perfect character for this kind of um, serious interpretation of the superhero. Yeah, because he's either a detective right. or he's a bare knuckle boxer, yeah. and like in either interpretation, those are those are sort of like haughty film ideas. Yeah. And you know, Spider Man, I think, is actually quite a complex and interesting character, and a lot of teenagers are able to kind of project their experiences onto him. But he's not weighty. You know, right. his struggle is like I watched he's a, a robber kill yeah. my uncle, and that's that's yeah. what motivates him. And that's just not it's not as deep somehow and as whatever's happening with Batman. Interesting, but corny. And right. he's an alien, right. so automatically is going to feel a little bit awkward right. in any yeah. situation. Not relatable. Batman right. is like in, is baked into a cityscape. He's baked into this urban reality. Right. Well, and Spider-Man, watching him web-sling his way across the city, it's like that's freedom. That looks great. You want to do that. Batman, there's nothing really about what Batman does that is like, man, I want to do that. Yeah. I want to I put on 50 pounds of armor, get in like a souped-up – uh, armored personnel carrier, and then just go punch guys in the face all night. It right. just seems bad. So we're talking about this movie, and and I, I can tell that we're like we're considering the, the this this sort of seriousness and the somber nature of it. This has been intense. Yeah. But, so what I here's what I want to say is two things. One, Dark Knight also has plenty of corny moments. Oh yeah, bad funny one liners and absolutely jaw dropping action sequences. 
do you rewatch this movie for those things for the for the kind of comic book elements and the idea that this guy basically made a tactile version of a comic book or do you watch it because you like going the same reason you go back to Godfather 2 you want to see these performances obviously Ledger will talk a ton about when we get to the categories but because you want to see the performances over and over again or because you actually just like seeing an 18 wheeler get flipped in the air I love remembering moments when the hair on the back of my neck stood up during movies, even if watching it again can't recreate that. And this is one of the few movies in the last 10 years where when I saw it in the theater, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like he he's he's capable of things that most other filmmakers, especially working in superhero movies, are, are not capable of. And even even action directors are just not capable of. And he has a real very precise way to electrify you. And so I think I want to revisit that feeling when I rewatch the movie. I don't really care about the comic book aspect of it, actually. I'm not that super interested in the universe that he created and the stories because they don't actually fit together all that right. well. Yeah. But that and, you know, like you said, we'll, we'll wait to talk about Ledger, but I, I, like a house on fire. Yeah. Like yeah. One of the all-time most yeah. Absolutely. great rewatchable performances ever. Do you go back to watch it because you're like, man, this is the best rendering of this character or is it because – God, like he's standing on top of a skyscraper in Hong Kong. It's the best rendering of this character because it's the duality of the Batman and the Joker together. Yeah. Together in the same movie. And Ledger's just electrifying depiction of the Joker is it's – it's simultaneously uh, the essence of why you want to see this character because it's like this great battle between like madness and order. And at the same time, like it's a really trenchant critique of – the form itself. Like, can you fix a rotten system by working outside the system? Would that not just create more chaos? I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I think that's why I love this movie. Okay, let's get into the categories. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. With HelloFresh, all the ingredients are delivered right to your door in recyclable insulated packaging and come pre-measured and handy labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with what recipe. And HelloFresh offers a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly, including the classic plan, which comes with a wide variety of meat, fish, and seasonal produce, the veggie plan, which is vegetarian recipes with plant-based proteins, and the family plan, quick and easy meals the whole family will love. Better yet, you can choose a delivery day that works best for your busy schedule and even pause your accounts for weeks at a time. HelloFresh makes it so easy to cook delicious balanced dinners for less than $10 a meal. There's no more time-consuming meal planning or grocery shopping. Enjoy not spending money on takeout for an easy night or worrying about gathering ingredients each week. I've been using HelloFresh at home and it just pretty much eliminated having to like get Chinese food and you have that like weird hangover or you get food delivered and it just doesn't taste as good as it would if you just made it at home. I love being able to just know that the stuff is waiting for me when I get home. It allows my wife and I to just have a lot of fun in the kitchen rather than worrying about whether or not we bought the right thing to somebody have to run back out to the supermarket. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code REWATCHABLES30. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Proper Cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Something is always off. Thankfully, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier with Proper Cloth. At PropperCloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds. 
by just answering 10 simple questions. Not to mention, you can also choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles from classic to business to completely customize your shirt and get the style you want. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world and only buy fabrics that meet their high-quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through an extensive quality control testing, so you're going to get the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. Best of all, Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they will remake that john for free. This is the future of shirts. These shirts are made completely custom for you, starting at just $80. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. You look ridiculous. Start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash rewatchables today. Enter gift code rewatchables to save $20 off your first shirt. Do it today. All right, we're back. Rewatchables, The Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan's 2008 Batman piece de resistance, right? Yes, yes. Chris. Yeah, you man. used that properly. Yes. You also pronounced it properly. <laughs> Thank you, man. Um, <laughs> casting what ifs. I just want to knock these out really fast because they are pretty funny to consider. Fire away. Um, you cannot imagine this movie almost t- to a role with anyone else playing the roles in them, but there are some great rumors out there on the internet. For Harvey Dent, which I think was secretly very good casting because I, I think that you had to have somebody who thought that they were a big deal but right. actually wasn't, and that's right. perfect for Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, shots <laughs> fired. I love Aaron, Aaron Eckhart. I have sort a, of a two face. I have a condo on the <laughs> Gulf Coast that's built on Aaron Eckhart stock. Okay. So don't come yeah. at me with any disrespect. Oh Here's some of the people who were associated with the role. They were either expressing interest. Or auditioned for the role of Harvey Dent. Josh Lucas. Wow, one of your guys. Yeah, yeah. who we have not heard a lot from since mm-hmm. Glory Road. How's your Josh Lucas stock doing these days? <laughs> so that uh, that Gulf Coast condo has seen better days. Yeah, <laughs> on the market for years now. Liev Schreiber. I think that would be okay. I think he would of be these, a little I too dark and stormy for mm. Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent has to start out as a golden boy. He has yeah. to start out. I as... like him as Two Face, though. He could have been a good Two Face. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, Mark Ruffalo. No. 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 Mark Waffle, way too cerebral, way too neurotic. Right. Harvey Dent's just like, I'm just going to say I'm the Batman. Sorry I didn't mention this beforehand. Yeah. Bruce, they knew! <laughs> they knew, Bruce! They knew, Bruce! <laughs> they knew, Bruce! <laughs> Matt Damon! <laughs> Matt Damon! No. no. In the mix. Uh... I don't. I don't. Yeah. Think. Why does Matt Damon just want to be in a Christopher Nolan movie? And just whatever he needs. Yeah. Hey, man, can I be in a bag on the on the moon? <laughs> Do you need me in in the interstellar? You know, I I think that young Damon would have been a great mm-hmm. Robin. Yes. Interesting. Like a Courage Under Fire era. Yeah. Damon. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Christopher Nolan says that he never really considered anyone but Heath Ledger for the role of the Joker. That's what they uh, that say. As after soon the fact. as he like they they wanted to work together, and that as soon as that they started to tease out this character, that it was just obvious that it was going to be Ledger. That being said, other actors were rumored to be up for the role. Paul Bettany, fine. Steve Carell, no. Robin Williams, maybe if this is a Tim Burton movie, that yeah. works. A little too yeah, you know, ghoulish there. Adrian Brody, I could see it. And then this is just I mentioned this because when you do research on like who else was up for this role. This guy has more hits than anyone in the I didn't get that role. Ryan Phillippe mm. also was up for Captain America, was down to the final three. It was him, Krasinski, and Chris Evans. You know what that usually means? Great great publicist, bad agent. Yeah. yeah. 
I just think that the Ledger performance, like we've already said, is yeah. so legendary. Yeah. Arguably the most iconic movie performance of I would the 21st have, century that, like, you can't even put I anybody have, in it. If yeah. I was, like, an actor and I was associated with, if it was, like, a rumor to a audition, I would just, like, scrub that from the internet. Yeah. yeah. Like, I just, like, you don't, don't want to be close to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is probably the most, the, the one that we're going to have to spend the longest on. William Fickner's bank manager <laughs> uh, had been offered to Dwight Yoakam. I love I But love he Yoakam was busy recording actor. Dwight Meets Buck. And couldn't do it. Is that a Buck Owens cover yeah. record? Oh man, I, I haven't heard that, but I love Buck Owens. I love Yoakam as a, as a uh, as a movie actor. I don't think he'd be right for this particular role, but he really projects menace. Yoakam is a you legend know. in Panic Room, yeah, and Yoakam is a legend in Wedding Crashers. He's just got this quiet malevolence that is really stirring on yeah. the screen. Let's let's come out of our corners and really get into it. Most rewatchable scene. Oof. I'll offer up uh, a couple of nominees here if you guys need to add on. By all means, number one. Maybe the best opening of a movie of this century is the bank robbery scene. It's pretty great. It is very much note for note a recreation of certain elements of heat. It is it is an annoying homage to heat. But Sean saying like the hairs on the back of your neck when you're watching this scene, you're just like, a what the hell? We're ziplining across yeah. skyscrapers and it looks very real. Yeah, and all these guys are in clown masks and they're shooting each other right. while they're robbing a bank. I'm I'm one hundred thousand percent in. Here comes the silent alarm, and there it goes. That's funny. It didn't dial out to nine one one. It was trying to reach a private number. Is it a problem? No, I'm done here. I have a question about this scene. Yeah. Do you think that all of the dialogue was recorded in post? Yes. Sounds like they actually screwed up. So the, one of the little internet research tidbits, but I can throw it up here because there there's not like a lot that goes wrong on the set of this movie. They kind of did it. But apparently there were some problems with the IMAX cameras when they were shooting this scene. And there's a couple of out of focus scenes. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of stuff hmm. audio wise got fixed. That's interesting because just rewatching it. One, it does a really good job of kind of setting the tone for a comic book movie, which yeah. is that the voices of the robbers are like, yeah, you heard about this guy named right. the Joker. He's named the... Yeah. Hey, you guy. Guys, two guys on the roof. Every guy gets a share. Five shares is plenty. Six shares. Don't forget the guy who planned the job. He thinks he can sit it out and still take a slice. I know why they call him the Joker. So why do they call him the Joker? I heard he wears makeup. Makeup? Yeah, to scare people. You know, war paint. So because of that, and they're like, let me tell you something, I'm going to screw this guy over when I get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's very performative and unnatural yeah, in a way yeah. that the movie is not. Yeah. So you, it kind of thrusts you into the story. But also they're all wearing clown masks yeah, and it doesn't yeah. seem as if they're speaking to one another. Yeah, It's a perfect microcosm for the movie because you're actually just like, who are these guys and right. what's going on? But I don't care because Hans Zimmer violins are playing yes. and like this is heat again. Uh, so we got the bank robbery. We got the Joker's meeting with the mob. All these cops Love and lawyers. One. I'm going to make this pencil disappear. Yeah. That was incredible. The Lao kidnapping in Hong Kong? Yeah. Not a fan. Okay. <laughs> we can go over Lao later. The yeah. Joker's party appearance. The Love fundraiser it. appearance. Good one. Yeah. The champagne. Senator Patrick Leahy shows up there. <laughs> the police parade assassination or the pre- police funeral assassination. That's interestingly staged and also confusing. Yeah. And that's, that's an issue that maybe we can talk about with some of the parts of this movie too. The game of chicken between the 18-wheeler and the motorcycle. One of my favorite movie scenes ever. Wow. What are you going to go with? I'm going to go with uh, the Joker's party appearance. You get the sense that the Joker obviously is damaged in very deep ways, but he's also lying to you about everything. And it's just magnetic. You know, the way he's uh, he lies about his scar. He tells like two different stories about how he got the scars on his mouth. And he's just absolutely controls the room, controls the screen. And uh, to have him 
they're like in the locus of economic power of Gotham, this crazy clown force is just really cool. I mean, Ledger is just absolutely burning up the screen in that scene. He's incredible. I like that one too. And I think that when he tells the second story, because he yeah. tells that first story when he confronts the gangsters. Right. And then he tells a, a different story yeah. when he's at the party. Well, you look nervous. Is it the scars? So I had a wife. Beautiful. Like you. Who gambles and gets in deep with the sharks. Okay. One day they carve her face. We have no money for surgeries. She can't take it. I just want to see her smile again. Hmm? I just want her to know that I don't care about the scars. So, I stick a razor in my mouth and do this to myself. And that's, I think, I mean, when you realize that he has a kind of an unreliable narrator quality right. where it's like this guy is either messing with everybody or is having a break from reality. Right. Right. There's something really exciting when you're watching the movie and you realize that. Yeah. I would personally, though, go with the, the entire chase scene mm-hmm. through the underground For when they put Dent in the truck. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Transporting Harvey Dent after he's turned himself in as, quote unquote, the Batman. There's a lot of McBain lines in that. It's like, <laughs> I hope we can get through this uh, this street where their fire truck is on let's, fire. Let's talk about <laughs> Nikki Cat's performance in this movie. <laughs> Nikki Cat plays one of the cops who is transporting yeah. Harvey Dent to I guess the prison. Yes, and he's be- being it's driven. Like he's got to go from city to county or something right. like that. And there's like a really funny line where one of the cops is like, "Once he gets to county, he's their problem." It's like <laughs> this would be the national guard would be here, guys. This is not like you got to clock out in time to get to like the bar to watch the end of the Bears game. Right. So they're counting on Doctor Exposition, Nikki Cat. <laughs> And he's being driven by what we come to find out is Commissioner Gordon, who faked his own death at the assassination attempt on the mayor. Oh, is this? I hope you got some moves. Yes. Uh, (laughs) For some reason, while driving, he's wearing like a gas mask. And he's being pursued by the Joker and his army of escaped Arkham Asylum um, lunatics. Yeah. And it's one of the best chase scenes ever made. It's one of the best grenade launcher scenes ever oh made. Oh my god, it's a lot of bazooka. A lot of grenade launching. It's the single best that car flipped over scene in movie history, in <laughs> yeah. my opinion. Um, when the truck goes end to end, stem to stick, it's like that is the hair on the back of my neck moment for me. And it's also the moment when you get, you actually, there's actually a character note in the movie when Batman decides not to kill the Joker. Right. That actually is a, a moment that pushes the psychology of the story forward as well as like getting you excited to see what's going to happen next. Yeah. Which is something that, you know, kind of and only it, Nolan can do in these movies. And that, it is a great moment because that's the inherent sadism of Batman where you really have to question this guy. How many people have died because you won't kill the Joker? Yeah. Right. How many people have to suffer because of this weird code that you have? There's a moment in the fundraiser scene yeah. where he di- he disarms one of the lunatics and then like breaks down the gun and throws it away. Yeah. I'm like, is this some sort of moral victory? Like, do you think that not everybody else out there doesn't have guns? And, and how much of it is because, you know, he likes this. He could end this, but he won't. He knows the Joker's going to get out because how many times has the Joker got out? This is, I mean, we're talking about the comic books now. He knows that. Someone's coming back, some evil, the penguin, someone is coming back. And yet he always just, well, I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to put him back in jail in Arkham yeah. where they've broken out 15 times. Why? Why, <laughs> Bruce? Does he, he likes this. Yeah. He likes it, Absolutely. doesn't he? It does seem like it keeps it going. And you have to ask yourself what is motivating a lonely billionaire yes. whose only friend is an old British man yes. to keep going in life. Yeah, what, right. is, what is driving him to pursue things? And it's basically 
making himself the hero and getting into fights so yeah. he can feel something. Absolutely. I'm gonna. I'm still gonna go with the first meeting with the mob between the Joker and all the the, the bosses. It's both the the best scene and the worst scene. It's got Lau on a TV screen, sure. but like the, t- <laughs> the TV is like a little like Sanyo, yeah. you know. So it's like unclear how they're like beaming in high quality video from a plane yeah. <laughs> flying to China. It's a very good point. There's yeah. no like wireless internet. You know, so I don't understand how that's happening. Can you explain the the sort of the makeup of the group? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. so Richie Coaster plays a Chechen. Yeah. Well, there's all, there's Maroney. I believe is, his, name, his character's name is the Chechen. Yes, right. the Chechen. The Chechen. Yeah. There's uh, Eric uh, Roberts, who we're going to get to, playing Sal Maroney, the, the Italian mob boss. There's Gambole. The, right. the black guy with his crew, Michael Jai White, yeah. yeah, and and then there's there's a, there's the Chechen, the Russian mafia, I guess, and they're like all having like a quorum. They're having like a, right. a meeting. Who's ripping us off? Yeah, who's doing this? Is it in the kitchen it's of in, a restaurant? It's in the, it seems to be in the back room of a of a restaurant. Okay, yeah, these guys the can't basement. afford like a living room. <laughs> yes, <set up. laughs> okay. and the cool thing is is that Ledger, the Joker, comes in. And it should be stupid. He kills a guy with a pencil right. immediately, like the shit is lit. Yeah. And then he's like, he does this thing that I think is what really differentiates good Nolan from bad Nolan, which is having a character who is like, I am going to narrate the flaws of this. Right. And that's actually what I like about yeah. Inception. I know, you know, like you guys, we, we, I think Inception is a rewatchable, so yes, I can't absolutely. wait to hear it. But like one of the things that's cool is like the presence of people like Gordon Levitt and Hardy to be like, this is insane what right. is happening. Yeah, yeah. Right. In this sh- movie, like Ledger is kind of like, you guys have to meet during the daytime because you're right. scared of the Batman. Let's wind the clocks back a year. These cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? Hmm? There's so many great, great, great I, little moments of, you know, like somebody calls him crazy. He's like, I'm, I'm not. Right. I'm not. You know, I, I can't I can't just do Ledger this entire podcast, but it is it's where the like the Ledger performance is like. Yeah. Oh, they shouldn't even have. The Should Oscars. we demarcate five minutes of this podcast to just us doing our <laughs> ledger impersonations? Ledger yeah. just, just the way he laughs when he when he opens his coat and he's got the grenades. He's there like, you should it. know, and he's paid like, for it. Like he he variates it that it's in, he's just incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. I like that scene too. One thing I wanted to talk about is. Specifically, what the Joker's long-term plan is—that is, is going to be a. You got, you got, you got, I, okay. We will get to that. Great, yeah, I promise. Because yeah. I don't know, because <laughs> it's really, really, really yeah. hard to tell. Uh, let's go on to so so we have various various winners for most rewatchable scene. Whether it's the, the it's chase good that scene. we have three. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it's yeah. good. Uh, what aged the best? Ledger's performance, the action sequences, the fall and turn, or the Breaking Bad of Harvey Dent. Which is, you know, it's not something you see all the time in a, in a superhero movie, and the death of or the death of Rachel Dawes. Weird to say, age the best, but right. I, you know, it's very emotionally affecting that the Rachel Dawes scene is is actually like when you're like, oh, he's he's almost there, hold right. on, and then it's like, oh no, he went to the wrong building. I think the death of Rachel Dawes is is, a, is comes in second place. I just want to be sure Rachel Dawes is the same character that yes, yes. Katie they Holmes just played in Batman. She did, She was busy making a Queen Latifah movie. That's the story? Yes. It was like, she basically was like, I have a scheduling difficulty. I don't know whether that was Katie 
Holmes's version of I Got Replaced. That sounds like Katie Holmes's publicist version of why she got cut out yeah, of the most successful yeah. movie And franchise. then Maggie Gyllenhaal was like, I don't even understand Batman. I just wanted to work with Kristen Nolan. She was like, I didn't even give a shit if this was like what this was. I just wanted to work with him. Maggie Gyllenhaal is a little divisive, but I think she's really good in this. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal actually gives this movie like a gravitas that yeah. otherwise yes. would not have. I agree. I, I agree with that. She seems like a real person in a movie that doesn't have a lot of real people in it. Right. Yeah. And you could also sense that I could credibly believe that they are old friends, that yeah. they've known yes. each other for a really long time, which... Bruce Wayne kind of needs that. He doesn't have enough people in his life who are like my friend Bruce. Right. Yes, that I, make, that no humanizes him. I knew you before you were a psycho. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They also really—it's actually quite a complicated relationship between the three of them. There's a lot of like those guys basically being like, "I'm going to make a major life decision based on whether or not I think you will be with me in the future," and her pretty sincerely being like, "Yes, I will." You know, and then changing her mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's actually like an underrated part of the movie is the nuances of the love triangle there, um, yeah. which then kind of comes apart, obviously, with her death, but also with like, you know, Aaron Eckhart becomes a CGI character for, for half the for half the movie. But you said you think he accidentally goes to Dent. I thought he purposefully goes well, to Joker Dent. Well, Joker lies about He's like the oh. cops are supposed to rescue Dent, right. and Batman's going to rescue Rachel, and but Joker lies about where they are. The locations. Right. Yes. Okay, yes. so that's meant to underscore what his motivations are. Right. Okay, and maybe that more clearly identifies what you're saying, which is that he goes to rescue Rachel because in part he wants to keep being the Batman because right. the golden boy isn't necessarily the solution and he, he wants yeah. to keep doing I mean, And doing. also right before he's like, if I stop being the Batman, can right. we be together? And she's just like, okay. But then she says like, you asked me to choose and I choose you to, to Harvey, you know? So what do you think is the, the thing that saves the best? I, I just think it's I think it's Ledger. If I go on YouTube, I will just watch the YouTube mashup of just his scenes um, because that's really the most interesting stuff to me. He's he's was incredible in this movie. I was thinking about other critically lauded performances from yeah. this era and how they, they change over time in terms of our appreciation of them. Say, like, one that I kept going back to was Sean Penn and Mystic River. It was like, that, that went from, you see it the first time, you're like, wow. And then it just became like kind of like a meme. The, is that my daughter in there meme? Is that... Um, but you know like you kind of like watch that and you're like you're hamming it up man yeah yeah i don't know i just think that like the thing about ledger is that he's wearing clown makeup and he's doing all this like really mannered stuff and it doesn't age a day yeah and and i think it i think it helps that his performance in brokeback mountain which was like two years before this or Mm -hmm. three years before that was so controlled like very subtle absolutely everything was 20 miles beneath the surface and when it finally reached the top it just felt like an earthquake and then he gives you the Joker which is like on the other side of the spectrum but that depth is of, of motivation still feels like it's there it's, it's a great great performance that's a good way to frame it which is that we come into the movie knowing that we trust Heath Ledger to be right. a great actor already yeah. so he already has this you know he has this um, margin of error so when he starts kind of like tonguing around yeah. inside of his mouth feeling yeah. his scars yeah. or you see his kind of crooked posture yeah. you know he has this kind of bent over look the whole time his head is turned to the left you accept the over the top nature of some of those choices you know you accept that he's like I'm really going for it and I have an interpretation of this character I have to differentiate myself from the comic book from the cartoons from Jack Nicholson there's this long history of people trying to be the Joker and his Joker is very on the ground and messed up yeah. and you feel that in every movie he makes I remember when the film came out it definitely his passing in January of that year and then the film comes out I think in July of 2008 you're definitely aware 
that this character, even if it, there's not finality yeah. to the character, Absolutely. that this is the last time you're going to see this yeah. character. And I think that that affected it. Now, late, like going back to rewatch it, like ten years later, almost, you're kind of like I just was actually just in the moment. I wasn't really thinking about his passing. I wasn't really thinking about what I, you know, like, oh yeah. So now, like, they can't really bring the Joker back in the third. It's like you're just so in there with him, and it, it, it's actually like I would almost recommend if you if if there's any reason to rewatch this movie again if you haven't seen it recently, is is for him yeah, absolutely. I, I, if you watch Suicide Squad and you compare Leto's Joker to yeah. To Ledger's Joker, it's like there is a complete lack of vanity to Ledger's Joker that is crucial to the character. Um, absolutely crucial. It's it's a great performance. Yeah, the first time we see him really in the bright light, yeah. I think, is when he's been apprehended and he's in the interrogation room, and the light is shining on him, and you can see the makeup is kind of cracking away from yeah. his eyes, yeah. and he's slouched down and he's seated on the floor, and he's kind of. He's poking at everybody who comes into that room. He's yeah, poking right. at the cop. He's poking at Gordon. He's poking at Batman. He knows how to mess with everybody. But he looks like shit. Yeah, he looks shitty. He looks weak and he looks deranged. Right. And it's so that's so different from Nicholson, for example, who yeah. is is cartoonish. Yeah. You know, and I, I like the Nicholson performance too in, in Tim Burton's movie. But this is uh, genuinely frightening. What's age the worst? Oof. We've got a couple here, and a lot of them are related to the p- plotting. And storytelling. You don't say. Uh, In a Christopher <laughs> Nolan movie? It's, you could combine these two, so I guess I will. The fairy choice, the, yeah. the, you know, the choice that the citizens have to make at the end, which is sort of the denouement of the movie. Or you could just broadly say the Joker's plan, yeah. which is very widely debated on Reddit. There are people who are like, I can, I can show you what his plan was, and they go through beat by beat how he did this and then he did that and then he did this. But any kind of scrutiny of the movie and being like, yeah, but right. but they didn't know this was going to happen, so how could he know that was going to happen? How, you know, pretty much unravels it. Um, Gordon faking his own death. Does that age I couldn't up? risk the safety of my family. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like, send him to the Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> faking his own death. And I'm just going to quote Wikipedia here because I think they, they put this. This is like real shade from Wikipedia. Batman finds the Joker with a sonar device that spies on the entire city. Jason, what do you think? I, I'm going to go with the the sonar device. <laughs> Lucius Fox's it's just, uh, cell phone. It is the definition of a Deus Ex Machina yeah. device. Yeah, you know, literally, like, oh, here's the here's the machine that we've created that can find the Joker. Yeah, that's how we'll find him. You're a detective. <laughs> Beautiful, unethical, dangerous. You've turned every cell phone in Gotham into a microphone. And a high-frequency generator receiver. You took my sonar concept and applied it to every phone in the city. With half the city feeding you sonar, you can image all of Gotham. I have an honorable mention. Sure. Sure. Which is the Coleman Reese character. Oh, man, I love the Coleman Reese character. (laughs) What's going on there? Coleman uh, Reese is a Wayne Enterprises employee. Yeah. Who discovers in the basement right. the plans for the Batmobile yes. right. and attempts to Applied use... sciences, bro. It was yeah. originally like a military de- vehicle. And right. he's been assigned to like kick the tires on Lau's <laughs> company. They're like, hey, we think this guy might be a little shady. It's like, no shit. Yes. So <laughs> Lau, who is the money launderer for a crime syndicate yeah. operating out of Gotham, is also not a good business partner for Wayne Enterprises. But Coleman Reese, who I guess that we're meant to think is an industrious employee. Right. Yeah, I think he's like trying to be like... Overzealous. Yeah. Yes. He's discovers like a- the plan, 
to to support Batman's technology. Right. And then tries to blackmail Lucius Fox, played by Morgan Freeman, as well as Batman. I found some irregularities. Their CEO is in police custody. No, not with their numbers, with yours. Applied sciences. Whole division of Wayne Enterprises just disappeared overnight. I went down to the archives and I started pulling some old files. You don't tell me you didn't recognize your baby out there pancaking cop cars on the evening news. Now, you got the entire R&D department burning through cash, claiming uh, it's related to cell phones for the army. What are you building for him now? A uh, rocket ship? I want $10 million a year for the rest of my life. And somehow becomes ensconced in, and then in this shows up on Anthony plot. Michael Hall's television show. <laughs> right, he goes on yes. Frontline like, or whatever it is. I got, I got a scoop. So, like, why did we need any of that? <laughs> why is all of that in the movie? Um, There's like a pl- there are plenty of scenes in this movie where I'm like, ah, right, come on, why is this two and a half hours? This there, is a two yeah. hour movie, and I'll, I'll, you know, I have a huge problem with the ending of the movie, and we can talk about that. That's probably sure. my number one. I, in rewatching the movie last night, turned it off with 20 minutes to go. I also have a theory that the best possible version of this movie would end immediately after the Joker breaks out again and you see the shot of him with his head out the window like a dog. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is the best shot in the movie and the most exhilarating moment where you're like, chaos can win. Sure. If that were the takeaway and then there were a sequel that starred the Joker or whatever, I would enjoy that and those are the vagaries of Hollywood. And they could have done Arkham. Oh, yeah. yeah. That would have been incredible. There were other directions to go, but I, I... I don't. I don't understand Coleman Reese. I don't understand the ending I, at all. I think they need Coleman Reese in order to underscore that Harvey Dent is a good guy, or at least wants to project himself as a good guy, because he's the guy who steps up and goes, "It's me. I'm the Batman, guys." Even though he's not. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, he's willing to take the fall for the city for Bruce Wayne, uh, because he feels that Bruce can do more good than he can. You know. So that it's meant to underline his heroism. I think. Yes, and I agree. It's. It's one of those things. It's like, do we need we we need this? Like, what if if Coleman Reese, like working in the back offices of Wayne Enterprises, can figure this out just by like flipping through the spreadsheets? I love it when people have like <laughs> you know? it's like the Citadel and Thrones. It's like yeah. everything's written down and filed right. away in the basement. Like this fucking super weapon car. <laughs> we just left a plan for it where like a forensic accountant could but, like, like trip across. Twenty it. minutes earlier in the movie, when Wayne decides to hang up the cape and cowl. Yeah. He has Alfred burn files <laughs> in the basement. Like, what files are those? So there are files at Wayne Enterprises with bat- yeah. Batmobile plans, but he burned his personal files. Like, what are they doing? There's an element of James so Bond stuff. To, I, I'm yeah. going to go with the. I'm going to agree with Jason and say the cell phone because there's an element of James Bond stuff here where like. They do a lot of let's just reconstruct the bullet to right. figure this out. And it's like <laughs> right, right. really like you guys couldn't just like do a little bit of like. Yeah. like Beat, knock on some doors and find this out. Yeah, right. explain that. He cuts a piece of concrete out of right. the wall, which yeah, is a bullet shatter. Yeah, and runs shatter. a bunch of tests. Right. And then does, th- like, basically some 3D printing, and he's like, oh, yeah, now I know what's going to happen at the <laughs> at the funeral parade. Why do we need that? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's to show, like, they built that lab set. Yeah. And they were like, we got to shoot some cool shit in here. Right. I mean, I, that that's trying to tie in the detective part of Batman's mm. character that's a to the movie. Uh, that said, yeah, I mean, it's also one of those things that's like, Hilariously overdone. Yeah, hilariously. And the, for me, the thing about the cell phone thing is it ties into one of Nolan's. For me, one of Nolan's, Nolan's weaknesses is whenever he tries to overtly say something big, like "Okay, security and safety versus freedom." 
can we balance those things? I'm going to show you by creating a cell phone that can, you know, a cell phone scanner that can just scan the entire city, listen to everybody's stuff. It is funny, though. Like, back then, I was like, nobody's going to, like, listen to cell phone calls. Who would do that? (laughs) (laughs) Stay woke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's get into uh, Half-Ass Internet Research Corner. I'll run through this. Like I I said, uh, Dark Knight uh, obviously had sort of a tragic air to it because of Ledger's passing. There was not a ton of wild stuff that happened before or after filming. Uh, Nolan purposely avoided giving the Joker an origin story and changed his canonical uh, chemical scarring to uh, knife wounds to make his origins more unclear. Michael Caine did not think that the movie would work and that it would be impossible for uh, for Ledger to top Jack Nicholson's performance in Batman, but uh, was blown away and when he first worked with Ledger was so frightened he forgot his lines. Michael Caine's got a lot of nerve. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Michael Caine. Kane's got an interesting <laughs> role in this movie that I think is worth exploring. He's obviously dead wrong about Ledger. <laughs> and it's one of those like, all right, old man, take it easy. Yeah. Um, but he then went on to become basically like Professor Emeritus in every Nolan movie, right? Yeah. He's yes. the guy who comes in and says something pithy. We were meant to be on this if. Yeah. We were meant to leave it. Well, kind of like that was a little South African like Lethal Weapon two villain. I yes, think. that was incorrect. The Kuga Rens. I don't really totally understand. I don't. I'm not. I'm not really good on Alfred mythology. So if you want to maybe explain some of that, like, but he ha- plays a weird role where like I think he thinks he's Batman. You know, he keeps telling Batman like why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, you have to endure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I. Uh, Alfred uh, was originally a like a British soldier in Afghanistan. It's, I, now, I may be wrong about this, but he's, he's got uh, medical training from being in combat in the army. and then So that's why he, he can, like, fix his broken Right, he somehow everything. got into manservanting, and he's the guy who... Um, Look, man, there's not a lot of work for guys coming back from a <laughs> colonial expedition to Afghanistan. Right. Uh, from Karachi. He's the guy who really who buoyed Bruce after the death of his parents and taught him how to be a man, essentially. Yeah. So he tells this story in the movie about a Burmese bandit while he's working in Burma. Right. What, first of all, what? What, are you yeah. talking about? Like, what were you doing in Burma? What's going? What is? Second of all, Bruce Wayne, who's a forty-year-old man who's been fighting villains for ten years, right. has never heard this story about the Burmese bandit. This is yeah. the first the, time he's telling the Burmese this story. bandit, <laughs> and he tells this long story, and he uses it. Obviously, it's a it's a it's an extended metaphor to explain the Joker's methodology, which is there is no methodology. He just right. wants to watch the world burn. That's a very iconic line from mm-hmm. the movie. It's a very memorable moment in the movie. But it is also one of those, like, as I said during a lot of our conversation about Inception, it's just a, a like a movie poppycock nonsense thing. It's just right. like, why is this story in the movie? Why is Alfred, <laughs> like, the moral conscience of Batman? It's like, it's screenwriter, like, push-ups. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I have an anecdote. He's like, a, a boy, I saw a boy playing with like, a ruby the size of a tangerine. Let, let Michael Caine get a, get a couple minutes uh, ISO, you know, right, on yeah. the wing. Just yeah. kind of just dribble around, see what's go- see what the offensive I mean, he got defense to, allow. For he him. got to cry in, in Dark Knight Rises. I was going to ask you this. Sure. Does it make sense? Because in Dark Knight, Michael Caine is like, you have to eat shit because right. you're Batman, and that's your job is right. to be the outcast and the the you know you make everything okay, but you're also like the what right. people blame. You're the for sin eater when things are right. going mm. okay. And then in Dark Knight Rises, he's like, I won't bury another member of the Wayne family. Right. Like, get out. I want to see you when I go to Venice and have an espresso. I hope right. one day I look up 
and, and right, I see and your I smile. See. And I'm just like, you're the one who wants him to eat shit and be the outcast. Why you can't be like now all of a sudden we're going to have an espresso commercial? I, I agree with it. It is jarring. At the same time, you know, that's it's um, we're meant to believe that five or six years have passed by so. the second movie. You know, like they show Wayne coming back from his various forays into the evening with bruises, broken ribs. He's had like 15 concussions. He's just he's not holding up. And Alfred's like, you know, I want to. Are you going to have kids? Like, what's what's yeah. going on here, dude? You're not looking great. Yeah. So Alfred also has an, an arc. Yes. He comes to also believe that <laughs> Batman should chill. Yeah. Can okay. I ask you guys really quick? Why is does Morgan Freeman need to be in these movies? No. no. <laughs> Could Alfred not also be good at gadgets? How many characters can we remove from this movie and still keep it effective? Let's get to the – that is a good segue okay. for best heat check performance by a role player, the Dion Waiters Award. Oh, I love it. Great. Nestor Carbonell as Mayor Antonio Garcia. <laughs> Joshua, you take the big job. <laughs> Joshua Harto as Coleman Reese. Anthony Michael Hall as Mike Engel, TV – TV interviewer, and William Fickner as the bank manager. Oh, man, that's tough. I have, uh, a, I have an addition. Okay. You already mentioned Richie Coster, who mm-hmm. we would come to know the as chat. the corrupt mayor in True Detective Season 2. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> as, as only the three of us came to know him as, because no one else stuck with that show. Coster plays the Chechen, who I guess is one of the primary gangsters in Gotham. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's canon or not. Very good performance by him, though, doing a very bad accent. Yeah, I want to kill him. Yeah, it's like Count great... Dracula Chechen. <laughs> Jason, my favorite part about the Anthony Michael Hall part, who I'm giving this Dion Waiters Award to, is the uh, trope in action movies where uh, a TV camera crew is always there when right. something super important shows right. up. It's, I'm going to call this the William Atherton role from Die Hard, which is like, tell me you're getting this, and the hospital blows yeah. up, you know, like, and it's just, it's just, like, amazing. I just, we, we cover the, why is this accountant on the local news version of Charlie Rose, right. and being like, I'm going to reveal the Batman after right. this commercial, right? and then, you know, like, they call up. Uh, did you have anybody you wanted specifically I, to award this to, or any additions? I think I, for me, it's also Anthony Michael Hall, just because uh, swole late career Anthony Michael Hall is will never cease to Does stop he, me in my tracks when I see him. Only work in Nolan movies too. <laughs> Wait, there's in? one more. There's one more person. Sure, and I want to use this as an opportunity to talk about this character. Chin Han is Lao. <laughs> <laughs> Lao, I, I think, correct me if I've got this wrong, is a, a Chinese business right. man. Yes. Right. Sort of a corporate titan yes. in China mm-hmm. who's also acting as a money, money launderer. launderer yeah. International this, money launderer. For these gangsters yes. who work out of Gotham. Wait. I won't give you the money, but I will give you my clients. All of them. You were a glorified accountant. What could you possibly have on all of them that we could charge? I'm good with calculation. I handled all the investments. One big pot. This is quite, it it is like the definition of a heat check. I feel like every (laughs) conversation he says, he's like, fuck it. I'm going for it. I'm going toe to toe with Morgan Freeman. He takes all their money without telling them. He's like, guess what? Banks aren't safe. We have to move it to a place where only I know where it is. And they're like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) And he's like, cool, I already did it. Didn't tell you guys. I'm on a TV. I'm on my way to China. And then they ha- he takes a meeting. He never thinks, like, isn't it weird that I just robbed all the gangsters of Gotham and now right. Lucius Fox is here to, ch- to check right. me out? And then Lucius Fox, 
even though the one rule of this building is you can't bring your phone in. He's like, oh, well, whoops. Lucius Fox is like, <laughs> I got past that one rule and does a little switcheroo with it with, with, and brings down this guy's multi-billion dollar corporation by a phone, but by using his cell phone. Right. And so that leads to Batman illegally extraditing Lao from China <laughs> mm-hmm. back to Gotham. Via Skyhook. Via Rendition. Skyhook. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Lao becomes basically a living MacGuffin for the movie, yeah. right? So he yeah. becomes the person who they need to protect to testify in open court <laughs> yeah. against all of the He's criminals the of Gotham. Yeah. And I, why? Like, right. is it? Are we sure? Like, there's not enough on the Chechen that we can't like get him in prison. I, is this an early like we got to go to China to sell this movie in China? Thing? That is what that is on the, on oh. one level, and it's also like this cynical uh, thing of here's the most complicated, convoluted part of this plot. Let's uh, give it to some Eastern character because they're mm. mysterious anyway, and it's like what the what is this guy doing? He's from Hong Kong. It, yeah, whatever. That's very bad. You yeah. know what? One thing that the three of us are all guilty of. Yes, and I and I love it. It's what I love about working with you guys is that at any given point we're all working on a blog, <laughs> <laughs> and one of us will walk into the other's office and exhale. Yeah, and then describe being like really deep in the weeds with something that no one except for us cares about. Yes. <laughs> And I kind of feel like that's the choice to go to Hong Kong and Dark Knight. Right. Like, I feel like they were like, we got to go to Hong Kong. And and Bale was like, not only do we have to go to Hong Kong, I have to stand on the skyscraper myself right. to prove it to myself that I can do it. And it's right. just like somewhere like Alan Horn is just cutting a check for $35 million to send 400 people to Hong Kong to I shoot love, this I thing in shit. IMAX at the top of a skyscraper and they literally could have A, done it in Gotham right. or B, CGI'd it and like this movie would have well, been the, fine. The levels to that though are that not only is not like yeah we gotta go to Hong Kong but I need the What's the cover story? What's Bruce's cover story? Are people going to believe that he just... No. He's got to land a plane He's in gotta, the ocean. we got to land a plane in the ocean. He's got to be on a yacht with two Russian ballet yeah, models. Yeah, Michael Caine's like, like in the middle with a bunch of courtesans in the middle of the South China Sea. <laughs> this is I didn't even think about how the witness levels was. are off the charts yeah. on this because he can't land in Hong Kong airport right and also like what do what do these pilots think they're doing like who are these guys <laughs> who are they it all goes back to Lao <laughs> this is a Lao problem I think Nolan needs to revive this and be like the Lao trilogy yeah <laughs> that would actually probably get greenlit because yeah. people would be like oh we could sell that yeah all right Apex Mountain. Heath Ledger. Time yeah, to do some impersonations. Right. Heath Ledger is this apex mountain for Heath Ledger. It's all part of the plan. Look what I did to this city with a few drums of gas and a couple of bullets. Hmm? You, know, you know what I noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan. Even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that like a gangbanger will get shot. Or a truckload of soldiers will be blowing up. Nobody panics, because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that one little old mayor will die, well, then everyone loses their minds. <laughs> I take that as a yes. Yeah, it's, I mean. It's broke back in this, and it's like, those are the two t- the yeah. two shining yeah. achievements. Yeah, I mean, I think he's obviously just an all-time great American actor, or Australian actor, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but. This performance, as Jason identified before, is like 
is just burned into the brains of a generation of people yeah. who love this movie. I, I, I honestly think he's kind of ruined comic book villains. He, ha- he really has. Well, you know, it's something I was going to mention earlier. Basically, all other comic book villains, I think, are bad. Yeah. Or at yeah. least we have problems with Marvel them. Marvel punted. Yeah. Marvel's just like, we're just going to have like various like space monsters. Right. But we can't, we can't come up with anybody on this level. Yeah. Is there, is there someone sitting in the, I guess, the Avengers canon? Like, Because obviously X-Men has Magneto and others right. and Apocalypse and uh, different things. But are they only dealing with what they've got available? Or is there like a guy in the Avengers canon that you're like, why aren't you guys doing this? They just don't have that, that level of character. Like, for instance, Thanos is a... Uh, it's really a ripoff of. Is it Dark Side? Dark Side. So it's there, yeah. There's there's not that level of psychological analysis you can apply to these other Marvel villains, except for Magneto. Magneto has an interesting backstory. I was going to say there's two for me. The yeah. one one is Magneto, who I think, yeah. especially in the Fastbender iteration, yes. I thought they've done a really good job with. Yes. Two, I think that Sam Raimi did a really good job with Doctor Octopus, who I was mm. not in my mind a very wasn't a villain with a lot of gravitas in the comic books, but the way the rendition of him that Alfred Molina does right. in, Sp- in the second Spider-Man movie, I think is actually quite good. And it's because it's the opposite reason that Ledger is good. It's very vulnerable. There's like a story about his wife right. and what motivates him to do the things that he does and what's, what drives him mad. That's really the only one that I can think of. That I, I mean, think it's unfair. Quality. There's like four good villains. There's like Anton Chigrou, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And the Joker. I mean, it's a great <laughs> point. Sean brings up something really interesting about Dr. Octopus's like pathology, and it's that, you know, the, a great villain thinks he's the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're just kind of playing out, you know, the Red Skull, who is a Nazi, and all these other various, um, you know, literally cartoony villains, you just can't apply that. The Joker doesn't necessarily think he's the hero, but he understands very well what he is and what and the role he plays the, as the flip side to Batman. I guess Lex, um, that makes Lex Luthor would be the one that kind of sure. got left on the table. Yeah, although he is, there's something almost like schlocky about him. Right. Like I think Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor is kind of a great movie character. Um, I'm not sure if he's a great villain. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that the Joker does and that Ledger does in the performance is if you take this movie seriously enough, if you decide to take it on its face, he literally asks you why you're doing the things that you're doing. Right. He literally makes you say, he's like, I'm going to light this mountain of money on fire right. and I don't care. Yeah. Should you care? Yeah. yeah. That's it, a pretty powerful thing. And it thing. pokes at the very motivations of a lot of these movies. You know what I mean? It's like wh- whether it's heroism, whether it's financial gain or whatever the the thing that you, you know people do these extreme things for, he's just like, I just don't care. Right. I know. I still care about them. Uh, this is the most interesting question, I think, of Apex Mountain is Bale. Um, <laughs> because Bale is a movie star sure. who hasn't really made a hugely successful movie other than Batman, that he wasn't part of an ensemble. So, like, Big Big Short and American Hustle were successful, but Bale is very much part of an ensemble in those movies. The movies that he top lines have been strange, to say the least. A couple of Malick's, a couple of Scott Cooper movies. I think that you can make the argument that it's the fighter is is his greatest role, If although I I would say, (laughs) personally, no shots at him. I think it's it's Empire of the Sun. Oh, wow. you know, he was a child, so it's sure. almost a different person. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people might be partial to American Psycho. What about you, Sean? That would, would be think? that would be my vote, American Psycho. Which I'm I'm just a fan of that movie, and I know it's divisive, but um, I think he's extraordinarily well suited to that role in a way that he actually is not well suited to Bruce Wayne. And I've never really liked his Batman. I don't think it's bad necessarily, but a lot of the choices he makes rub me the wrong way. Particularly the voice, which is for some people. Um, 
a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I was going to ask you guys if you think this movie works without Ledger. And no. That's, you know, it's because I feel like I'm not all the way in on Christian Bale. Um, I think American Psycho is probably his most interesting performance. I think The Fighter is probably his most, like, realized performance. Mm-hmm. So it's not Apex Mountain for me. I mean, it's probably Apex Mountain for him as a movie star. Yeah, it's Apex Mountain for as a movie star. I, I also agree that it's not his... I would also go with American Psycho because that's the movie that, you know, he's so handsome and square-jawed. You look at him and you think that's, a movie star looks like that, a a stockbroker looks like that. And so American Psycho is really interesting as an investigation of the dark side of that image. Um, And Bruce Wayne is sort of that too, but not, but he's just much more blank. I mean, Bruce is just a kind of a blank figure, a, a mirror image for the Joker, and the Joker is obviously the much more interesting character in that duality. I think this is probably, I mean, you mentioned the voice. Part of the reason why I don't think Dark Knight Rises is sort of resonated with people is right. that there is like that, like... The weird voice. There's tonal, There's a tonal similarity between Bane and Bruce that is just like too much great, right. like it's too too overbearing, and there's yeah. not that electricity that Ledger brings to the movie. I do think that, you know, you know everybody's like, oh, the, jo- the Joker is this haunted role and you, right. you know, it's it's impossible I think Batman might be the hardest role in, in movies it's, yeah I was thinking about Affleck when Jason was talking yeah. and what he's trying yeah. to do and it's difficult if you're a, a performer who has any sense of irony I don't think that Bruce you can do Bruce Wayne and yeah. we know that Bale ha- does have that because the American Psycho performance is right. pretty funny yeah. right. and it's pretty um, it's purposefully over the top because that's yeah. how that character's written and Affleck obviously we know as a performer is like larded with a, a kind of irony yeah. and I don't. How do you? I don't even know how you play it well. No, it, and I don't know that anyone has successfully done it. Keaton did a good job. We haven't really seen someone do the the Adam West version of it, like a right. kind of like I'm snappy dialogue guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, Apex Mountain, Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> if you need me to refresh your memory, here are some other films from Aaron Eckhart's <laughs> canon. You know that that might be in competition. Obviously, in the Company of Men is what he's best known for in his early part of his career. Nick Crozier. Yeah. Proto Lane Kiffin yeah, in, uh, yeah, in yeah, Any Given yeah. Sunday. George in uh, Aaron Brockovich. Josh in The Core. Keep going. Thank you for smoking. Nick Naylor. Sergeant Michael Nance in The Battle for Los Angeles. His characters have great names. He yeah. played President Benjamin Asher in Olympus Has Fallen. <laughs> he played uh, Benjamin Asher in London Has Fallen. Would America elect a Benjamin Asher? But he goes pro and wins the belt. As Jeff Skiles in Sully, the loyal the loyal co-pilot. Man, things have really come is, apart. Is for Harvey him. Dent Apex Mountain for Eckhart? Ooh, I'm gonna say yes because I don't know if you guys saw this recent meme uh, that blew up on Twitter maybe two months ago, where uh, I forget the name of the user, but he he tweeted something like, uh, "One of the greatest moments in movie history is." Uh, <laughs> Is Harvey Dent not recognizing the Joker in the hospital until the Joker takes off his <laughs> surgical mask? <laughs> Which is just a great. This is a weird looking nurse. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe because half of my face is burned off and my vision's a little impaired, but sheesh. Yeah. I like that scene a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good scene for Eckhart, too. Yeah. Um, it's obviously a huge flex for Ledger. Every line he has in that scene is yeah. great. Where do you think is his apex mountain for Le- Eckhart? I think he's a pretty good actor. And I think just hearing you rattle off some of those roles, you know, I think he's a really good number two. Yeah. And he's basically a number two in this movie, he's obviously. He's Sully's co pilot. Yes. Yeah, so he's Sully's co But he's very good in Aaron Brockovich. You know, he yeah. is this like empathetic biker. I like Aaron Eckhart. I think he's well cast. Yeah. 
I think this is a good performance. Okay, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'm gonna go no because that, yeah, that goes to honorable woman yeah. or secretary or any she's number. Phenomenal of, in the deuce. In the deuce. Yeah, she's the great. Deuce. Uh, has a lot more to do. But this is the big one. Is this Apex Mountain for Nolan? In terms of cultural impact, yes. Um, is it his best movie? I think Sean will disagree, but I think Dunkirk is his best movie. In terms of cultural impact, yes, yes. I think Inception is his best movie. I go Dark Knight 1 and Inception 2. I think what he's able to accomplish, even if it's just in fits and starts in this movie, is way above almost any of his peers. Mm. He's just – he's more capable of greatness, which is why I tend to be harder on him than I am on almost any other filmmaker because I'm like, you got it. Right. You know how to be mm-hmm. – you know how to be John Ford. You yeah. know how to be Howard Hawks. You know how to be Steven Spielberg. He's got right. that stuff. Do you think he needs David Coop or somebody to – Somebody to come in and like write like William Goldman to write his scripts. Yeah, for the him. way Andy Reid needs like a time management coach. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not joking. Yeah. I mean, his dialogue is fine. I, I I think in Dark Knight, it's actually like way more comic booky than I remember. There's a lot more like I'm going to tell you exactly what the theme of the scene is. This movie plays uh, right into his strengths, which is he the set pieces hold this entire movie mm-hmm. up, and it's when you get into those small moments that you can sense the seams, and it's a it's a testament to how hard he crushes the set pieces in this, that you really don't look for that stuff until you do something like this, where you have to really watch the movie again and analyze it. I often think about how Nolan and Fincher together would be the greatest filmmaker of all time, because (laughs) Fincher actually cares so much about the precision of those intimate moments, the intimate like one-on-one drama moments. And even if the script in the Fincher movie is like a little bit flawed, like somehow he executes those scenes so that they have as much weight as any... I mean, you don't really think of... There's not, like, a lot of Fincher set pieces that are, right. like, legendary. They're mostly, no. like, yeah. the cumulative effect of the movie. Right. Whereas Nolan, it's the set pieces are incredible. And then he, too, has an incredible attention to design and detail. But, like, it obviously just doesn't know how two people talk to each other <laughs> and whether or not... And how to, like, put right. together a coherent story. I'm not as concerned as much with the dialogue. I think, especially in a comic book movie, there's a certain element of explicativeness and also yeah. kind of corniness that that I can deal with. I find the plotting in almost all of his movies to be much too convoluted. Yeah. For, for n- very often for no reason. And it, it was very charming in Memento and pretty much since then, there's not rationale for it. Best quote, since we're talking about dialogue, Joker saying, I don't, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers. No, you complete me. Here's the most important part about this quote. In the world of Dark Knight, does Jerry Maguire exist? <laughs> I love it. This is this is like you coming into our office and asking about. I got a blog post, and it's like the the unmistakable connection between Jerry Maguire and the Joker. Does the so the, has the Joker seen Jerry Maguire? And and then all the other questions that come out of that is Tom Cruise a figure in the world of Dark Knight? I love it. Like love is Renee questions. Zellweger yeah. in? Like, does Joker know who Renee Zellweger is? Do, do you think that the Joker had a Netflix subscription? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Harvey Dent, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. That's it. I mean, that's the line that is – you will see that quoted every night on, on social media. Yeah. Uh, Joker, all you care about is money. The city deserves a better class of criminal, and I'm going to give it to them. Jim. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Eh, it sounds great. Sounds good. Jim it's Gordon. Good, good screenwriting. Yeah. He's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him because he can h- take it. Because he's not our hero, he's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, 
A Dark Knight. Hashtag who talks like this. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag I said the name of the movie in, in the dialogue. Uh, so we're going to go with um, yeah. either Die a Hero or Live Long Enough to See yeah. Yourself Become the Villain. No, one. there's more. Is there, hit me. Why so serious? Why so serious? Sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And... Why so serious? That's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. Why so serious is pretty important, I think. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that was basically the, the tagline of the movie when, yeah. when it was released. Pink um, put it in a song. That's, that's right. I, I feel like every time... The Joker tells a story. Introduce a little anarchy. Upset the yeah. established order and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos? It's fair. That's very good. Every time he has these like very melodramatic line yeah. readings, it's usually with good dialogue or he makes you think it's good dialogue. I had a vision of the world without Batman. The mob ground out a little profit and the police tried to shut them down one block at a time and it was so boring. We could just read all of Joker's dialogue. I want yeah. My phone call. <laughs> That's incredible. I want it. Yeah. I want it. I want my phone call. <laughs> I want to do nitpicks. We could we could okay. combine nitpicks with unanswerable questions because there's sure, a sure, lot sure. of them in here. I think one on the the major unanswerable question is just what happens to Joker. They don't they don't really settle on it. The novelization of the uh, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Includes a it, it says that he's in Arkham, right. in a, like a he's like the only prisoner in Arkham or something. Right. But Nolan said on the promo trail for Dark Knight Rises, we're not addressing the Joker at all. That is something I felt very strongly about in terms of my relationship with Heath hmm. and the experience I went through with him on the Dark Knight. I didn't want in any way to try and account for a real life tragedy. So there's that. I want to ask a couple of uh, of nitpick questions though. Sure. How come nobody notice notices a drastically scarred face cop at the at the funeral? Everybody's just like, that's Davey. He must have gotten into a fight last night, this cop. Not only a Scarface cop, but a Scarface cop who is one of the 21 Gun Salute Mm -hmm. participants. Yeah. He also didn't seem to get all the makeup off, like his neck. Yeah. He's still got like a little caked on makeup on. Yeah, it's tough. And neither him and his buddy, they both are like, let's look as criminally insane as possible (laughs) while wearing police uniforms. Um, how could Gordon have planned to fake his own death when he didn't know how the assassination attempt would happen yeah, I mean, or where the shots would come from? That's pure high-level poppycock. <laughs> <laughs> that whole plan. That entire plan. I mean, that's getting th- – the whole thing is getting thrown out of court. Whatever case springs from this like, just is hide. getting thrown just out. Just hide. High level. Just hide. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where you, you can't do this in a superhero movie, but the thing you're, you should do is just – just shoot the Joker in the face. <laughs> just, just shoot him in the face. Like there's just not that, that was, would solve every problem. Yeah. yeah. Why couldn't Harvey's crimes have been pinned on the Joker? I mean, what like, why you? do they have to be like Batman? You have to take the L for all of these publicly. We have to shatter the light. Right. You can't get any any juice from this. No goodwill. And even though we have a criminal mastermind who we have put in an insane asylum, I, I we're going to th- blame Harvey's crimes on this other guy. Batman. That's that seems to me like a kind of an artifact from previous iterations of the script when they thought that the Maybe goodness the of Harvey, yeah, yeah, the goodness of Harvey Dent was just going to carry a lot more of like the mm-hmm. of the dramatic load than it ended up doing. I buy that. You have any nitpicks? I've already highlighted a few of them. I mean, I think the entire Lau pursuit, <laughs> the entire Coleman Reese pursuit, is just unnecessary. I I don't have necessarily like specific plotting problems because. 
that it's a comic book movie and yeah, you yeah. have to accept yeah. it. I do wish that the, the boat scene was not so on the nose. The two boats and the citizens having to choose yeah. between blowing yeah. up the criminals. Tonight you're all going to be a part of a social experiment. I'm ready right now to blow you all sky high. Liberty, come in. Over. It's dead. Anyone attempts to get off their boat, you all die. Each of you has a remote to blow up the other boat. I'm not even totally sure. Like, like, why are all the criminals on a boat? Because they are like getting transported out of the prison, right? I think because there's like to something... so go where? I, I don't know. Right? He's gonna he's gonna destroy the city. Something's gonna happen. They have to evacuate, evacuate the entire city. Yeah. There's a lot of like shuttling cri- supposed criminals around in this movie too. It's just like we got to get Lau from Hong Kong to Gotham. We got to get Harvey Dent, who's the Batman, right, right. from Central Holding to County. Right. We got to get the prisoners out of the prison onto yeah. a boat. And there's just a lot of like weird lying. There's a lot of like I didn't tell you about this because I. I didn't want you right. to like I, I just didn't have time yeah I didn't I, have time to tell you that I was going to pretend to be Batman I also don't understand Lucius Fox for 40 years has overseen the design and development of war right. weapons cutting edge weapons for yeah. A, a, yeah. a detective who is also an outlaw but it's too far when you can listen to guys phone calls right. that's too much <laughs> that's it. and he's well, got to step down I, 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 slight correction he's been building these weapons just because it was his job, yeah. and it's only in the last few years that he's, he's been doing it. They're right. like arms dealers. Right. Yeah, like Tony Stark. You know, he's like the the entire bat suit is the product of some dark weapons uh, experiments that he's been doing for Wayne Enterprises. Do you have any other nitpicks? Any of the planning and plotting of a Nolan movie is just, you pull on one thread and it's like you find... 15 balls of yarn come out. This is the most anticlimactic final question of a podcast ever who won this movie. Yeah, it's like... He's just an amazing actor, yeah. an amazing actor giving an amazing performance in a in a role that shouldn't work in movies. That is basically stupid, yeah, yeah. and is just larded with uh, like existential questions. Yeah, and he he just like I, I was I watching it again. I was like, God damn it, yeah, I'm caught up. I don't mean to be morbid, but I often think about like what his career would have been yeah. because I don't necessarily think it would have been like any other one that we're seeing now. I yeah. I, I, I think that the the people in his generation, like Joaquin Phoenix or Jake right. Gyllenhaal, that you're kind of like, oh, okay. So would you have done like, a couple, like I don't, I, I don't. Would, would Heath Ledger have done Source Code? Yeah, yeah that's I, the I thing. Have no is, idea. Like, what, what is Heath, what is the movie star version of Heath Ledger? It's very hard to picture. Yeah. So I think he he obviously was someone who was, cared very deeply about yeah. working with really great directors and I just I think it's a real shame that we'll never see like a Heath Ledger movie with Paul Thomas Anderson or a Heath yeah. Ledger movie with Martin Scorsese or something like that like it it's it you can only wonder what he would have given us if he had if he'd stayed with us yeah one of the disappointing things about it is is he's really only given like two or three iconic performances yeah he wasn't in a lot of great movies right. he was in a, maybe 12 13 movies and he's good in all of them you know he's very good in like I'm not there but he's only in 10 minutes of I'm Not There. He's very good in, like, Lords of Dogtown. But that's not a very important movie. Right. You know, it's it's The Dark Knight. It's Brokeback Mountain. You know, I think fans love him in 10 Things I Hate About You. He's good in that. Yeah. And, he's legitimately good you in You know, that. but then a lot of it is either serious fare that didn't totally work, right. Monsters, Ball, The Four Feathers. Right. Or things like The Patriot, where yeah, he was trying to be a movie a star. Right? Yeah. 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 And so it is, it is disappointing to just think about who, yeah. who he could have been. What actor, what kind of actor would he have been? I think that the the Brokeback 
Dark Knight is the beginning of what would have been right. hopefully like an incredible run. It's just too bad we didn't get to see it. All right. So obviously we rate the rewatchability of Dark Knight very, very highly. Yes. If you're interested in superheroes, this is a great time for you because The Ringer has a definitive superhero movie ranking up now. Our own Andrew Grotadaro oversaw the very advanced statistical research that went into properly ranking all of the great superhero movies, so you can check that out. We'll have tons of content about superheroes up over the course of the week as we get towards the release of Justice League on Friday, November 17th. Uh, there will also be special podcasts. Andrew joined us for The Watch, me and Andy's uh, pop culture podcast. Sean Fennessy will have a special superhero edition of The Big Picture. Uh, so just tons of stuff. If you're into capes and powers, man, what can I tell you? Uh, for Jason Concepcion, for Sean Fennessy, I'm Chris Ryan. Thanks for listening to The Rewatchables. Today's episode of The Rewatchables was also brought to you by Hotel Tonight, an awesome app for finding and booking great deals at great hotels. No more crashing on an air mattress in your childhood bedroom this year. Instead, lock down your holiday plans with Hotel Tonight. Book a room up to seven days in advance everywhere and up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities. Or wait until the last minute if that's more your speed. You can take a break from Uncle Tony talking politics and just steal away to your Hotel Tonight hotel room. Whether you need a room for tonight, the holidays, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. Today's episode of The Rewatchables was brought to you by Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, ordering custom shirts has never been easier. Create your custom shirt size by answering 10 easy questions. Shirts start from $80 and are delivered in just two weeks. For premium quality and perfect fitting shirts, visit propercloth.com and use gift code REWATCHABLES to get $20 off your first custom shirt today. I'm trying to think of what is what is the one of the things that he yells. Boy, well, he's like, this city. <laughs> Zach, maybe it's just like you. Maybe I think it sounds like you. Criminals are a complicated, Alfred. <laughs> Some men just want to watch the world burn. Some men just want to watch the world burn, Bruce. Well, that's one of the things that Den says. Den, that hates you for it. <laughs> Batman says, you don't want to hurt the boy, Harvey. But I support uh, Batman. And then and then Dent says, it's not about what I want. It's about what's fair. Yeah. It's like, why are you yelling? What is he so upset about? It always kind of bummed me out that Two-Face is this major villain in the Batman like rogue gallery. And he only gets to be Two-Face for like half a day. That's true. That's too bad. Okay. The, one, of the, one of the best ones is, um, come on. I want you to do it. I want you to do it. Come on. Come on. Hit me. Hit me. Hit me. Hit me. Yeah. Come on, I want you to do it. I love when he's like messing around. The Joker's insane. Yeah, I mean, that really, that's the thing about the Joker's plan that I'm not sure is is totally um, depicted with clarity in the, in the Dark Knight. Is that really his plan is that he just wants Bruce Wayne to kill him. He wants he wants Batman to kill him. Yes, he wants yes. that. He has, a, he has a death wish. That's what it is. He wants to get the Batman to break that one promise to himself, and thus kill the joker don't talk like one of them you're not even if you'd like to be to them you're just a freak like me like me